I've got to preach. Is that all right? Is that okay? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Mm, good Lord, that was a little delayed. I, I, I'll, I'll take it that maybe the blood's, you know, kind of hanging out down in your feet because you've been standing up for so long <laughs> that it's not up in your brain. Just take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. High five four people around you and then be seated. Like this side, it's already done so, so praise the Lord. If you're eager to hear the Word of God today, let me hear you. Listen, I want to share a word with you today. I'm excited about the word that I'm going to share with you today. A message that God has shared with me all week. I, I, I want to ask you genuinely to pray for me that I convey this message with the same clarity that I received this message with from God especially dealing with the subject matter that we will broach today because what we're going to do today is we're going to extract out of our lives this thing called hurt and we're going to look at it through the lens of God and as you're turning to our narrative in Genesis chapter 45, it's a story about Joseph. If you, if you know anything about the life of Joseph, this will be a familiar passage of Scripture. But, but first, let me just give you the subject matter for today. The title for today's message is The Freedom of Forgiveness. Say that with me. The Freedom of Forgiveness. Touch your neighbor and say, The Freedom of Forgiveness. There's a secondary title to today's message, which I really thought of this morning. I think it will make more sense as we get to the end of the message. But it's this. It's the sending power of forgiveness. I want you to write that down. It's nowhere in your notes. The sending power of forgiveness. Let me just take a moment to give you some context to this concept so that we can establish some direction for today. Here we are in week number four of this series. We're closing down this series called You Ask For It. You've asked all kinds of questions, just really questions that are all over the board, and we've given you those answers. But what we've noticed is that there was really a, a similar theme throughout these questions, themes that dealt with relational pain and, 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 and hardship and hurt. In fact, we, last week in our question and answer session, we had a question that dealt with this very topic, but didn't have a lot of time to expound upon it. Questions like, like this, let me, let me read a couple of those questions. Questions like, why do we have feelings? Why do we need them? Questions like, I've, I've been deeply hurt by many of my past experiences. How do I forgive and move forward? How do I have healthy and productive relationships with others when I have unforgiveness in my heart? I, I want to hang out in this lane for a moment, the lane of unforgiveness, because forgiveness is really one of the foundational principles of the work of the cross. Jesus himself hanging on the cross, some of the last words that he spoke were, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, having a conversation with Peter, Peter said to Jesus, how many times should we forgive Christ? Seven times, meaning I've reached the pinnacle of success as far as Jewish custom is concerned. And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. Meaning that forgiveness is a lifestyle. You see, I I don't want to look at forgiveness this morning from a traditional perspective. I, I could stand up before you and give you the word and what it says about forgiveness, and I'll do that to a certain extent. I could tell you that forgiveness is, is not for the other party, that forgiveness is for you. I could tell you that forgiveness will set you free. I could tell you that the word says, unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. I could give you the medical research that says unforgiveness causes your life to be shortened, that unforgiveness causes stress that unforgiveness breaks down your immune system, that unforgiveness causes you to have sleepless nights, that unforgiveness will cause you to be a cynical person, a person who's bitter, a person who's angry, that unforgiveness will cause you to live in the past and to miss what God has for you in the future. I could tell you all of those things. And all of those things are true. But it's easier to say those things than it is to live in those things when the hell of hurt is all around you. Hello? You see, we can't control what others say and do to us, but we can control our response to them. But Pastor Mark, she hurt me. She did me wrong. She just said things about me. It's hurt me to the very core of who I am, and I have forgiven them as the Word says, but I'll never forget it. (laughs) How many of you have made statements like that? Come on, let's just be honest. You see, forgiveness, unforgiveness is a thief of identity. Unforgiveness will rob your identity, keeping you from being who God wants you to become. I hate to sound like Dr. Gary Chapman, but if you've ever read any of his work, we all have this emotional bank account. There are things that fill up that bank account and there are things that deplete that bank account there are things that just suck that bank account dry and one of the things that sucks that bank account dry is unforgiveness and unforgiveness will rob you of your ability to love others Paul, how is it that Jesus could hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Can I tell you how? It's because the love that was inside of him was greater than the hurt that was on the outside of him. Let me me take you, before I go to our narrative, to another passage of Scripture. I, I, I just need to show you this. Off the cuff here. John, I don't even know if I gave you guys this. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Here here is Jesus. He's saying something. I want to look at forgiveness from another perspective for a moment. From another vantage point. Jesus says, a new command I give to you. Everybody say, new command. Circle the word command. He says, a new command I give to you. What is the command? That you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Hold on a second. 
He's saying, what I've done, I've done it as an example unto you. Love the way I love. Treat others the way that I have treated others. Verse 35, look what he says. He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Hold on a second. He's giving us the identifying marker for our relationship with him. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Here it is. If you love one another. He says, if you love one another. Hold on a second. If you love one another, you will be known as my disciples if you love. Everybody say love. If you love one another. Not just if you love some people, but if you love one another. He doesn't say you will be known as my disciples by the number of likes you have on Facebook. You will be known by the number of followers you have on Instagram. You will be known by your church theology. You will be known by your church attendance. No, he says you will be known as my follower by your love for one another. Not your love for those who first loved you. Not your love for those who are easy to love. Now understand, he says this is a command. In in other words, the reason why it's a command is because Jesus is telling us that it's going to be difficult to live. What Jesus is saying basically is that your love should be char- your your relationships should be characterized by love. Not just loving those who first loved you, anyone can do that. Not just loving those who are easy to love, anyone can do that. But to love the unlovable, to love those who have done unlovable things to you, hello. That's not easy. <laughs> but this is how you will be known. For your love for one another you see he's telling us that it's going to be difficult but we still must love one another I'm trying to to say something to you without saying it what you need to understand is in order to be a person who loves you've got to also be a person who forgives If you want to be a person who loves, you've got to have forgiveness coursing through your veins because unforgiveness is the nemesis to love. Hello? Love is impossible without forgiveness. Hello? And some of you... All of the pain, the hurt, the problems, the things that others have done and said about you in your life, you need to go all frozen on it. Let it go. Let it go. That song makes me sick, you know. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You see, a person of love has a predisposition of forgiveness Mm, that's deep grab that write it down a person of love always has a predisposition of forgiveness can I show you one other verse before I go to our main narrative is that okay I'm gonna do it anyway but Romans chapter 12 Verses 17 through 20. Put it up for me. Romans 12, 17 through 20. Here's Paul. He's writing about this very concept. And here's what he says. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. You know how someone does you wrong and you want to 
do them wrong? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I did not say this is easy. I just said that this is a command from God. It's written in a command structure. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, now you got to see this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Woo. Oh, no, he didn't. And it does not say arsenic in parentheses. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul's saying something. He's telling us that, listen, there's going to be relational problems in your life, but you will be known as a disciple by your love for one another. Mm. In 1979 through 2009, the University of Michigan did a research study on relationships using 14,000 students over the course of 30 years. What they discovered in 2009 in the category of caring was that we care in 2009 40% less than we did in the 1980s we care 40 percent less today than we did in the 1980s according to this research poll why well one of the reasons is because today relationships are seen as disposable it's easier to walk away from a relationship than it is to work through the problems to yield forgiveness it's easier just to walk away listen let me tell you something in life Paul has told us someone will crash your party someone will crash into your emotions someone's gonna step on your toes say some things about you that they shouldn't say your feelings are going to be hurt but are you gonna be known as a disciple of Christ by your love for one another Listen, what I'm trying to say to you is that relationships are not as disposable as the razor that you used to shave with this morning. But you don't understand. I've been hurt. She did me wrong. She said some things. She's talking about me, Pastor. You don't understand. She's talking about me. She's talking about my casserole. She said, I can't cook. She told everybody, she told everybody at work that I can't cook. And then she started talking about my husband. She said he was fat. Now, how can my husband be fat if my casseroles ain't good? Listen, I'm not trying to make light of hurt and pain. I'm not doing that because I know present in this place today there are many people who have hurt that is so much greater than anything that maybe even I've experienced. But what I do want you to know is that God wants you to live the life of freedom. Not allow the stupidity of others to keep you from going where God wants you to go because my disciples shall be known by their love for one another. Genesis chapter 45, let me read it. If you're there, Genesis 45, say amen, I'm there. 
Genesis 45 says this, verse 1. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. And he wept. And he wept. And he wept. And he wept, and he wept. There was such emotional pain and trauma that was present in this exchange with his brothers. It says he could no longer control himself, and he wept. In the Hebrew, that word wept means that there was brokenness in his soul. I think for you to understand verses 1 and 2, you really need to understand the backstory in Joseph's life. You see, Joseph came from a large family. He had many brothers. But Joseph was not liked by his brothers because Joseph's father, Jacob, had a greater affinity for Joseph than he had for his other brothers. So his brothers didn't like that. And then God also gave Joseph this ability to have dreams and one day Joseph comes in to his brothers and he said, Hey, hey, I had a dream. I had a dream that uh, you guys are going to bow down to me. His brothers, not liking him, knowing that he's dad's favorite, began to plot against him. We've got to kill this guy. We've got to kill him. We're sick of him. We certainly will never bow down to him. And then finally they said, Well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. So they did that and they took his clothes off and they shredded them up and they poured blood on his clothes and they took the clothes back to his dad, Jacob, and said, Dad, Joseph has been killed by a ravenous animal. Jacob goes into a depression because the one that he loved is no longer alive Joseph goes into slavery for years and years and years and years then one day he's falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit and then he's thrown into prison and he stays in prison for years years and then the Pharaoh one day had a dream In the process of that dream, Joseph had the ability, the uncanny ability from God to interpret dreams. And so the Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Joseph interpreted the dream, and the Pharaoh began to take a liking to Joseph. And he established Joseph as the number two man in all of Egypt, even though Joseph was not from Egypt. He made Joseph the vice president of Egypt. And now Joseph's brothers from their own homeland, there's poverty there, there's famine there. So his brothers and his family come now to Egypt for help. And the only way that they can receive help is to stand before the vice president, if you will, of Egypt, who happens to be their brother, and they do not know it. They think that he's dead. And Joseph wept and could not control himself. You see, I want you to wear this passage today like a garment because there are some of you who are weeping on the inside. There are some of you who have been done wrong by someone who's close to you and you no longer trust anyone. You won't make yourself vulnerable so that relationships work. You're saying to yourself, I don't want to have a relationship with anyone because that person who I thought was good did me wrong and I can't understand it. 
But let me help you understand something. In the midst of all of the wrongness that his brothers did, God was using the wrongness to do something right. God was using what was meant for evil and he turned it into good because in the midst of the slavery that they were sold their brother Joseph into, God was using it to take him out of slavery and to place him into the palace. God was using it as a resurrection in his life. All of the testings that he had gone through for years and years, now God was using it as a testimony. Do you hear me? You see, what you need to understand is that love and forgiveness exposes the grace of God. And the grace of God always absorbs evil. Are you with me? Someone got excited about that upstairs. Love and forgiveness exposes grace. And the grace of God always absorbs evil. So Joseph wept. He said to the guards, I want you to come and grab these guys because they did me wrong. They did me wrong. So I want you to dip them in syrup and place them in a bed of fire ants. (laughs) Maybe some of you are like, yeah, man, I can think of worse than that. But but here's what I, I need you to understand. You need to understand this. The more that I think about my hurt, and my pain, and the person who hurt me, the more that I begin to think about myself, the more obsessed that I become with myself, the less that I'm able to care for others. The more obsessed that I am with me, the less that I'm able to love others. And we shall be known as Christ followers by our love for one another. You see, the closer that I draw into Jesus, the more that I'm obsessed with Jesus, the less that I'm obsessed with myself, and the more that I care for others we shall be known as his disciples by our love for one another so what would Joseph's response be look at verse 3 verse 3 Joseph said to his brothers I am Joseph is my father still living but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence In fact, Jewish tradition says that his brothers fell to the ground and their souls left them momentarily because they could not believe what they were seeing. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph the one that you sold into Egypt. He said, come close to me. Listen, he's saying, I want to hug you. Come close to me. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Do not be angry or distressed with yourselves for selling me here. Do not be angry or distressed with yourselves for all that you've done against me. Do not. At first glance, it looks like he's trying to remind them of all that they've done. You know how we are. Don't be angry with yourself for selling me here. You know, I did spend a lot of time in slavery, and I have been separated from my people and from my homeland, but don't worry about it. You know it's going to be all right, and and everything's going to be good, and I haven't seen Dad. In fact, he thinks I'm dead, and I was also in prison. But don't worry about it. You know how we are. I'm all right, brother. 
you, you, you said some stuff about me and it caused me to lose my job. And when I lost my job, I lost my house. And it was all your fault, but bless God, I forgive you. I'm not holding it against you that at 9.45 on September 3rd of 2001, you said something about me. And in paragraph B, you know how we are. But you know something? He was not reminding them of all that they had done to him. Rather, God was opening his eyes to how, God, how he was going to use it to elevate him. He was also showing them what you meant for evil you thought was going to leave me in slavery. God used it to elevate me to the place called the palace. God moved me from the pit to the palace. You thought it was going to be for evil, but God used it for good. Now watch this. you got to see it. Watch this. The second half of of verse 5 shows us something. The second half of verse 5, he says, because... It was to save lives. He said all of this happened to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That God sent me ahead of you. That God sent me ahead of you. You've got to grab this. That God sent me ahead of you. God orchestrated all of this. And I realized what you meant for evil, God is going to use for good. If I'll just do the right thing, I shall be known as his disciples by our love for one another. If I do the right thing, Many will be saved, including your family, including all of Israel, if I do the right thing. You see, if I make a priority on restoration as opposed to vindication, many will be saved. God will use it. I mean, this story sounds like Jesus. It sounds like our relationship with, the G- with Jesus at times. We do him wrong. We say the wrong things. We disobey Jesus. We turn our backs on Jesus. We sin against Jesus. But Jesus never leaves us, nor will he forsake us. Why? Because he puts a priority on restoration and not vindication. And the command is, you shall be known as my disciples by your love for one another. Everybody say love. Look at your neighbor and say love. If you're single and your neighbor's single, say love. (laughs) Oh, the single. Okay, anyway. Verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, for two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. But God, but God, but God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you. But God, listen, he's not saying, oh man, you did me wrong. You threw me in the pit. But God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you. Are you seeing what's happening here? But God sent, I love the depth of this verse, but God sent me ahead of you. He's beginning to realize that even though he was in the pit wondering why in the world his brothers would do this, at that moment he realizes that God is now doing a 
work in him for such a time as this. And even though you meant it for evil, God is going to turn it into something good. And there are going to be so many lives that will be saved. You see, so many times in life, we place more weight upon the hurt than we do the love of God. But right here in this passage, he's seeing the love of God, and we shall be known as his disciples by our love for one another. You see, people want to focus on the pain. People want to focus on the problems. People want to focus on the prison. People want to focus on the tears. People want to focus on the confusion. People want to focus on on the problem. People want to focus on what happened. And people want to focus on the slavery. And people want to focus on on the prison. You know, she did me wrong, man. She just did me wrong. She said I wasn't a good mom, and he, 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 he said I was a horrible employee, and she stole my man. Enough already. You see, we've got to stop measuring our lives by the pain that's been inflicted upon us by others and start measuring our lives by the position that God has established with you so that he can elevate you. You're not hearing me. What I'm trying to say to you, if it were not for the sin of his brothers, he would have never realized the promise of the palace. Are you with me? If it were not for the sin that had happened against him, he would have never recognized the position that God had for him. And sometimes we forfeit that position because we put more weight on the hurt than we do the weight of God. God's not consumed and concerned with who hurts you and how they hurt you, but rather He's consumed with how your faith will operate during that wrongness. He's more consumed and concerned with how you're going to love in the midst of that wrongness. How when all hell breaks out in your life, you're still going to expose all of those around you to the love of Christ because they shall be known as my disciples by their love for one another. You see, whoever's playing for me, come on back. What you need to understand is this. Joseph wasn't just pushed away from the table. He wasn't just pushed to to the kiddie table saying, you can't sit at the big boy table. you got to sit over there. Joseph was thrown into the pit. He was thrown into slavery. But God is not concerned with how many people wrong us or how they wrong us. God is more concerned with how when all hell breaks out that our faith rises to the top. God is not concerned with how many likes you have on Facebook or how many Instagram followers you have. God is concerned with whether or not you're going to love like he loved when all hell breaks out in your life. Are you going to grab hold of him and say I love you God and what they meant for evil you'll use it for good you see if you'll focus on the right things the right things will happen but when you focus on the wrong things your marriage will be wrong your relationships will be wrong your finances will be wrong your kids will be wrong your career will be wrong your attitudes will be wrong you'll be cynical you'll be hard pressed to find a friend in life but if you'll focus on the rightness of God in the midst of the wrongness then God will give you the promise of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. If you focus on the rightness of God in the midst of wrongness, he'll give you the blessing of John chapter 10 when Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. If you'll focus on the rightness of God in the midst of the wrongness, he'll give to you Psalms chapter 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare before me a table with my enemies, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You see, you need to understand that the Bible says that Joseph, he was blessed when he was in prison. He was blessed when he was enslaved. That means that blessing is not some tangible one-time event, but rather it's a state of mind. And he said, I know that you meant it for harm, but God sent me. I said, God sent me. I said, God sent me. And if I forgive you and love you the way that God said to love you, then freedom will be mine. Come on, somebody. I'm going to take a five-second praise break. Good God Almighty, somebody praise Him. Verse 9, verse 9, verse 9, verse 9. Verse 9 says this. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Go back to Jacob and tell him. Tell him this. He says, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. God has made me. Hold on a second. God has made me. Oh, I don't think you're seeing this. You're not catching what I'm throwing. God has made me. He made me. You see, yeah, they threw me in the pit. And they thought they were making me into a slave. But God was making me into a vice president. You see, they thought that they were making me into a person who would be in prison. But God was making me into the promise that he had proclaimed over my life. He was doing a work inside of me. And it's for the glory of the Lord. You see, because I have Jehovah Jireh. I have Jehovah Rapha. I have Jehovah Sidkenu. I have the glory of the Lord strengthening my inner man. And when he strengthens my inner man, I can overcome the evil that you've cast against me. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? What I'm trying to say to you is that if you'll allow, if you allow hurt to overcome his grace and outweigh his grace, you will miss the very place that God is sending you. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's good. If you allow hurt to outweigh his grace then you will miss the very place that God is sending you you'll miss the restoration you'll miss the healing you'll miss the forgiveness you'll miss the breakthrough you'll miss the wisdom you'll miss the provision you'll miss it the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 I believe It's where Paul says, my light and temporary trials have worked up for me an eternal glory. 
You see, I've gone through some stuff. Some people have said some stuff about me, but God was using it to bring him glory. God was using it to elevate me. God was using it to establish me. And even though my burdens seem to be heavy, they're so much lighter than his blessing. Even though my calamity seemed to be heavy, it's so much lighter than the work that he's done on the cross because the cross has set me free. Even though my, my, my failure seemed to be heavy, there's so much lighter than the favor of God because he's worked up for me something that only he could have done through this evil he's turned it into something good can I show you something else I wasn't going to show you this for the sake of time but I think I need to show it to you Joseph goes on to say several things to his brothers. He says, I want you to go and I want you to get some carts. Don't worry about the stuff that you have. The stuff that you have isn't really that good anyway. You just leave it here. (laughs) You go and grab all the carts you need, all the supplies you need. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. The vice president, I'm sending you. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Here they are bowing before the vice president. The dream that he had many years before. He doesn't say, (laughs) told you. We want to do that. He doesn't say that. They had this caravan of carts and supplies. I need you to understand something. That was a way to send someone off. As if they were royalty. So here he is. Listen, can I tell you something? Loving people is going to cost you something. You remember what Paul said? Paul said, I want you just to, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Here's what Joseph is doing. He's he's giving them the best that he has to offer. And when they leave, everybody kind of thinks, man, look at the escalades rolling. Look at the secret service rolling. Look at all the protection. Look, man, did you see that ride? Woo, they got it going on. But that's not the most beautiful part we go on down towards the end of the chapter pick it up in verse 25 it says so they went out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob now what I need you to understand and I'm going to say this very quickly God had a wrestling match with Jacob years before a lot of years before Jacob was a deceiver God had a wrestling match with Jacob and he wrenched Jacob's hip and Jacob walk with a limp from that moment on but it wasn't the limp that that really was the most beautiful thing that came out of that wrestling match but rather there was a name change for Jacob God said your name will now be known as Israel because you're going to be the father of many but notice how in this passage of scripture they say they went back and told Jacob you see what you need to understand is that from the moment that Joseph was pronounced dead until now Jacob's been in depression he no longer sees himself the way God created him under the identity of Israel but rather he sees himself as the old person so they say to Jacob you got to see this so they say to Jacob 
in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And look at verse 28. I love this. It says, and Israel said, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. And Israel said, you see, forgiveness will not only set you free, but it will cause the identities of others to be realized. Those identities that God has predestined. So come on, somebody. Begin to live the freedom of forgiveness because forgiveness has sending power. Come on and give him praise. Get up on your feet. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on and praise Him.